Welcome to the Art of Dynamic Confidence. I'm Susan Clark. Join me and my brother, Thomas May, for season two of our podcasts, where we explore how to best align ourselves with whatever situation we find ourselves in, allowing us to create success in changing times. Well, an old friend, Deborah Nielsen, stopped by a couple weeks ago. She has an amazing 20-year-plus practice that specializes in complex and family trauma. She is LMFT and ATR certified and utilizes art therapy and mindfulness cognitive behavioral therapy in her psychotherapy practice. She's also certified in EMDR, which stands for Eye Movement Desensitization and Reprocessing. We will link the EMDR Institute to her podcast webpage but it's a fascinating therapy, much like the somatic mindfulness that Bethany Crowley talked about in episode 13. During Deb's visit, our conversation spilled late into the night and started up again in the morning. We ended up exploring how the new dream work that I'm doing connected with the unique trauma work that Deb is doing. Tom, what should our listeners be looking for in this Dialoguing with Our Dreams podcast? Well, Susan, th- this is a very interesting podcast, and it's really kind of summarizes what you go through when we talk about the integral phase. And for the listeners, I'll go back and do a quick recap. If you remember, when we're in the reactionary phase, we are reacting off of our own maps. They guide us. When we're in the intentional phase, we have our own maps, but we see the maps of others, and we learn how to draw those two together and find the common ground. And as we talked about before, when we get to this next phase called the integral phase, this is a place in which we actually have all the maps laid out. And not only do we understand and we see the maps, we also start to look in between the maps, in the spaces to see what's there. And even in those spaces, we start to discover there are other maps and other inputs that come to us. And I think for the listeners to listen to your podcast, there's two key things. One is about this integral space, going in and listening to what really is something that most people may not listen to. And it's really talking about dreams. And then the other part of it is a term that was used in the podcast. It's called homeostasis. And it's about maintaining a stability. And there's a lot to be talked about Well, is there really stability there? So for the listeners, listen to what it means to be in this homeostasis. Can you sustain that? Can it be a place you can live in or is it always changing? So just two things to be thinking about as you listen to the podcast. Well, I'm so glad to have you here today, Deb. I'm glad to be here. Thank you for having me here with you, Susan. So let's talk about dreams. I'd love to. Great. I hear you have some questions for me. I do. So first, I'm curious, when and how did your interest in dreams emerge for you? When I was in graduate school and had my first son, I ended up going through an experience with him, which brought back a lot of memories. And I ended up going to a Jungian psychologist to work through what those images were. And she did a lot of dream work. And so I began to do dream work under a Jungian perspective 
so that you're interpreting your dreams. And there's a process that you learn about interpreting dreams. And I've been doing that for years and found it always to be insightful. Mm -hmm. But for many years, I also found it to be kind of problematic. It got in the way of things. I wasn't really incorporating the dreams into my life Okay. Uh, on the waking hours as much. Right. And so I kind of left dreaming. It's always been there, but I kind of left it behind for a while while mm-hmm. I was a mother and then developed my career and all of those things. So it would come and go. That's how I got originally started in it. Interesting. So at some point, dreams came back into your life more. Mm-hmm. And what is your perspective about dreams now? And how did that shift? For me, the shift began when I started doing more work in terms of spirituality and trying to understand spirituality. And as a background, we were trained through my mother uh, in really looking at a metacognitive approach to the world where Mm -hmm. you're constantly asking the question of how am I thinking and how is that thinking affecting where I am? So we've done a lot of work over the years, both personally as well as professionally, in this idea of dynamic competence through this process. And so what I've begun to do now is take that work in metacognition and expand that into a more spiritual perspective for myself. And in doing so, it has changed my view of dreams. Part of that spirituality is really going back to a lot of the Indian philosophy East Indian philosophy, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. going back to that and beginning to look at that in terms of how it is that we grow. And one of the important things, and this is from the work I've been now doing with Sri Aurobindo, is that as you ascend and begin to become more and more enlightened and become more and more aware, more calm, more functional in Mm -hmm. the world... As you begin to go up that ladder and ascend, you have to simultaneously go back and descend Mm -hmm. and begin to pick up all those parts of yourself that are less, that are really quite ugly and quite dark Mm -hmm. and the shadow side of ourselves. And you've got to reach into them. Mm -hmm. Well, what I'm intrigued with is how dreams help us access those shadows. And that's the place where I'm working a lot right now. It's very powerful, isn't it? It's really powerful work. I really resonate with the descending into the sort of shadow, the heaviness, the primal, to be able to ascend. I think we tend to think that we just go higher and higher and higher, and it's just these steps up, up, up. But you're saying that we actually have to go down to go up. I agree. And that's why I was so interested in talking with you because of your work in trauma. You spend a lot of time helping people come to terms and move through trauma. Absolutely. And a lot of what we've been talking about this weekend is how do you move through trauma? And of course, that impacts how I'm looking at dreams as a way to move through that. We could call it trauma. We could call it touching the pain, subconscious, survival, primal, all of that. Huge number of names for it. But how do you work through that? So yes, I agree. That's wonderful. I love how you're describing it. Mm -hmm. Clearly, you're looking at it from multidimensional perspectives. And I know your background is as a scientist. You're looking at things more holistically and spiritually now. So I don't know if you would like to, from your science perspective, 
just say a basic hypothesis about how you're seeing your dream work? Oh, that's a great question. I think we can look at it from a couple of different perspectives. There's this evolutionary perspective. Yes. So part of what I'm intrigued with a lot of Indian philosophy is the evolution of spirituality within our culture. Mm -hmm. And so we're at an inflection point, I think, lots of people are saying, we're at an inflection point within our culture of making another giant leap forward or really regressing. And so that evolutionary process fits into what we're talking about with this dream work, right? Going down and doing the deep work so that you can evolve forward into a new understanding. I think it also fits into my background with physiology and this concept of homeostasis and equilibrium. Sure. Because there's two elements to to homeostasis that I really like. One is that homeostasis says there's a set point And that as you vary from that set point, as you experience different things, your body tends to keep bringing you back to that center, Mm -hmm. to that whole. And so the same thing I think is happening in spirituality and happening in the dream work that I'm doing of returning back. The second part of coming back to center, center, coming back to Mm -hmm. center. And I think the other side of homeostasis is that that set point is never constant. That set point can actually evolve and change over time for a variety of environmental factors, internal factors, whatever it is, that homeostatic point will shift. So if I look at it from a scientific perspective, the hypothesis that I'm working under is that dream work allows you to touch into this deeper more negative component, the shadow component of who we are. And in doing so, it's that combination of experiencing that and the work to ascend that really is about driving to this homeostatic point. That as I go higher in ascension, I have to go deeper into the dream work, into the shadow side in order to come back to that equilibrium. Mm -hmm. And in doing so, I think that homeostatic point will also involve so those it are the moves two. Too. It moves too. That's so important. And I think that's commonly misunderstood. Mm-hmm. I think that there's the tendency to see homeostasis as absolutely static. Mm-hmm. And even ideas of what is normal and the idea of perfection is such a false concept, which relates to that sense of homeostasis is a static state. Mm-hmm. Perfection is a static state so-called normal is static. And that's all such a distortion that throws us further out of balance. Agreed. I resonate with this so much because I've been writing about dynamic balance, Mm -hmm. which is completely congruent with what you're saying. It's about the idea of being in a spiral dance, ideally, where we're in a flow. It's like the figure eight, the infinity symbol, where we're flowing back and forth in a circular back and forth motion between being in a state of being, which is my sense of part of your experience with dreaming. You're allowing yourself to just be open to experience the dream so that then it brings more to your life rather than the other way around. It's almost like your dream is your experience that then informs your life. Mm -hmm. Is is that accurate? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well said. That's beautiful. Mm -hmm. I'm so happy to be talking with you about this. So I want to invite you to just talk more about how your relationship with dreaming and how that informs your life 
how do you feel that's really benefited you? Well, again, we can take this more theoretical approach and say that if we follow this model, this hypothesis, that as I continue to do the meditation, and and what was really happening is I felt like my meditation was kind of plateauing out. I'd gotten a tremendous amount from it, and I was ready for something new. I wanted to to open up a bit more. And in reading Sri Aurobindo's work through Satprem, I really felt as if I needed to go deeper. And so kind of from a theoretical point, I knew that if I did the deeper work, I would be able to go to new places in my meditation. Well, what's happened is actually more than I expected. So my meditation has gone to a different space and it's some work that I'm doing on inside and outside and it's Mm. opening up and it's both creating a a structure which allows for me to be more protective of myself from outside vibrations, as well as being able to communicate more effectively between parts of myself and the outside world. So I feel like I have a different kind of dialogue. So that's in the meditation space. But then in my personal life, you know, the things that often we catch us and trigger us and mm-hmm. get us, yes. I'm finding an evening out of that because of this work I'm doing in re-engaging my dreams mm-hmm. and re-engaging that part of myself that, as you mentioned yesterday, we spend, you know, eight to ten hours a day dreaming. dreaming. And if we're spending all that time in that space of sleep and dreaming... That's a pretty big deal, and that's a lot of time of who we are. So it's really impacted me a great deal, both in the kind of structured work that I'm doing and then in my everyday experiences. Mm -hmm. That's so powerful. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing that we tend to forget or not actually acknowledge that roughly half our lifetime is spent in sleep. Mm Mm-hmm. And at least some of that sleep time, we're actively dreaming. Mm -hmm. Whether we're conscious of it or we pay attention to it or not, it's a huge part of our life. Not to mention the daydreaming we do. Not to mention daydreaming, which is the most common go-to way of coping and actually basic healthy disassociation. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, I'm tired or I'm overwhelmed. Start daydreaming. Love in the clouds. It's part of our way of just handling stress. Mm -hmm. But what you're talking about is this deep dreaming that you're consciously paying attention to. And what I have found early on, I mean, I remember in high school, I started journaling my dreams. And the more that I would pay attention to my dreams, it was like they responded to me. They said, I said yes, so the dream said yes. Have you found that to be true? Absolutely. And it's really funny because I've always had access to my dreams. But I felt for some reason, I believed that they were keeping me from resting. That by going into Mm -hmm. my dreams, I wasn't resting enough because they were so vivid and so much Mm -hmm. going on in in them. And so I didn't look at them in terms of the release and the power of them. Now, as I've reapproached these, as I've reengaged these dreams... I'm really fascinated with the richness that comes out of it and how it impacts my life in Mm -hmm. such positive ways all the way around. Yeah. That's beautiful. Mm -hmm. So you tackled that common misunderstanding that dreams could be in our way somehow Mm -hmm. or they're just sort of not meaningful. Right. Or a nuisance. Right. Annoying, Mm -hmm. perhaps. Mm -hmm. And you embraced your dreams paid attention to them and you have found this to be 
really a major part of your self-integration. I think that's a beautiful way of saying it. Because I was trained in how do you work with dreams, but it was a very technical training. And I didn't really embrace too too heady, right? And I feel like I've brought it back to the vital, to that visceral part of who I am, that emotional part of who I am. And so by reconnecting it, absolutely, I feel that it's a completely different approach to engaging my dreams. So would it be fair to say that you shifting your relationship with dreams has shifted your relationship to yourself and maybe even to the world? Mm. Yeah, I would absolutely say that. I think it's very true that this shift to my dreams, again, is opening up to that part of our world that is hidden, maybe? That part of our world that we don't define as our concrete existence every day. Mm -hmm. It's not tangible. It's not as tangible. It's It's unseen. It's that vibration behind everything. It's the vibration behind the matter. It's the vibration behind what we call a tree or a car or a person. Mm -hmm. And so by approaching dreams this way for myself, it has really been opening up and reconnecting to the world and myself in a completely different way. That is really, really significant. It feels like that. It totally feels like that. I I feel like you've described it so well, but I want to check in with you to see if there's anything else you'd want to make sure to share about your perception of dreams. I think it's an encouragement of others to engage their dreams in a way that feels a little bit more passive to me as I define how I approach traditionally the world. But what it is, is an openness to whatever is there. And you and I talked about moving through trauma. And it's about being able to be in a space that's traumatic, not freak out, mm-hmm. not run away, not be overwhelmed by it. Yes. And so to me, I'm treating the dream state is a traumatic state, I guess, in some ways in my mind. And that it's being open to whatever arises mm-hmm. in whatever form not analyzing it immediately, but kind of accepting what's there. And then out of it comes usually a phrase or an idea that lets me know an insight into myself. Mm -hmm. And so I'm sure people have done this before, but this is just a personal exploration on my part. And I'm sure there are people who are experts in dreams who can tell me, and you've told me a great deal yourself in terms of your background. For some reason, treating that dream state is the same way you would treat a trauma, which we all have traumas, and be open to it and receptive to it and create a space that isn't going to freak out. It seems really important to me. Mm -hmm. As you're describing that, Susan, what comes to mind is the idea of otherworldly. So, Mm, What do you mean by that? So... Dreams are like another world. It's a whole other experience. Trauma or very significant unsettling experiences in general, things that rock us to the core, whether physical, emotional, sexual, spiritual, anything that really rocks us to the core, not only in a harmful way, Mm -hmm. but even in a beneficial way, that which rocks us to the core Mm -hmm. can be sort of the sense of otherworldly. It's not the regular day-to-day experience. Exactly, exactly. It's out of the day-to-day, here's our routine, here's what we do, here's our work, here's our family, here's who we are, here's what we do. When we are rocked to the core, and I say that very, very deliberately because... We're shook up 
-hmm. by intense experience, whether we see it as positive or negative, that sort of shaking up is an opportunity. It's like (laughs) some kind of knocking on a door. Mm -hmm. And we could say, no, no, Mm -hmm. I'm not opening that door. Or we can say, yes, hello, welcome. Let me see you. Let me see where I might go. Mm -hmm. Very well said, Deborah. What I'm hearing you say is that the dreams are knocking. What are you going to exactly. do? Exactly. And the first thing you have to do is be willing to open the door. Opening. And that then that gives you this view onto this, what you call otherworldly space. And you go visit that otherworldly space and you're in that otherworldly space and you're in it. No matter what comes at you, you're in it. And then once you're in it, and no matter how traumatic it is, it's a dream. And so your structuring is, it's a dream. Well, the rest of the world is a dream too, but we'll save that for another time. (laughs) Right. That would be another conversation. But I think what's interesting is once you've done that, then what happens is it's not just opening the door and peering on otherworldliness. It's seeing otherworldliness in everything all day long. So that's the real shift, isn't that's it? That's the real shift. So you have to first open the door. But the reason you open the door and the reason you prepare yourself for trauma and the reason that you practice this over and over, I believe that if you can practice it in your dreams, you then suddenly are open to that dream world that we live in every day. Mm-hmm. And it isn't traumatic. And we're able to cope. I mean, a huge part of this is building my own coping mechanism for how challenging it is to live in the world right now. Mm-hmm and how hard it is for so many of us to live in the world. And so this has been part of the practice that I've done is my own coping. That's wonderful. And it is such a pivotal time we are in, such a powerful time that can be so painful, so unsettling. And again, it's also such an opportunity because I feel this is such a time of pain and opportunity as humanity, Mm -hmm. as human beings, Mm -hmm. and in our relationship to ourselves, to our inner self, to the world, to the idea of what does it mean to be human? Right. To the idea of, is this our home, this Mm -hmm. earth? Mm -hmm. And what is our relationship to this earth? And so ideally it starts with going inside. Are we connected with ourself, with our true self? Mm -hmm. So that as you're describing, you are being informed from the inside out rather than just from the outside in, which is how often we get lost. Right. Right. Too much on the outside in, and then we get overloaded, especially now, so much information we're taking in and eating all the time. It's like, what is on the inside? Mm -hmm. What are our dreams telling us? Mm -hmm. Is there a dream that you would like to share today? Well, I can actually share two kinds of dreams because I think that's relevant to our conversation. And many, many of my dreams are this complete banality mm-hmm. with tension and stress. Very elaborate descriptions of moving into a house that's quite imperfect, that has all of these interesting problems to it, and being torn between loving the unusual parts of it and then feeling as if culture will not accept what this is. So I'm playing out that day-to-day insecurity that we all have. And so I had many of these dreams. I most recently had one about a green house that had all these flaws and everything, but it was sitting right 
right on the lake shore and it had all these interesting elements and there were some really cool things about the rooms and so again it was this engagement of of myself of that parts of myself that i think are such wonderful interesting odd things but also the tension of feeling that i didn't fit in that people wouldn't like it that it didn't look the way people would want a house to look like mm. in the space that it's in and of course after i would was done with that dream i just let it percolate up and i i just let the belief of what it was show up and all i could think of but then what came to me was oh, this is your insecurity. And that was In just... In the dream, it. you had that awareness. As, a, as I was coming out of the dream. Coming out. So I'm not analyzing it. I'm not mm-hmm. asking questions of the dream. Mm-hmm. I just opened myself up to words and that's what came out of it. So it put that dream in a context without doing any of that extra work, that beautiful Jungian work where you're doing all the analysis. It just kind of comes out of it. So that's a way where I could use a dream and say, oh, yes, I can see that. And again, it's moving through that trauma. It's acknowledging that that's the struggle that I have. And it seems very concrete. It has a picture of it. It has some words attached Mm -hmm. to it so I can define it. So that's a kind of average. That's a common dream I would have with some little common insight. Mm-hmm. And then I just had a dream, as a matter of fact, last night that we were talking about, which kind of prompted all of this, yes. in which I'd had a, a dream that was going along and along and along. And all of a sudden, a male voice called out to me and said, get out of there, Susan. And I was on my hands and knees in a glass, looked like a greenhouse, but it was a glass greenhouse. I was kind of on my knees. And as I turned back from the person who said, get out of there, and I looked up, a huge tornado, like one of those massive ones that fills your whole view. We've seen them on television. Mm -hmm. This massive tornado is coming straight at this glass house that I'm in. And I grab, and I grab the soil, and I put my hands down into the soil and hang on. And in the process of doing that, somehow there was light and it was strengthened. And when that tornado hit, the glass was spared. The whole thing was stayed intact. And it was very strong and very visceral. And it lasted maybe three to five seconds. It was short and fast Mm. and over. And of course, I immediately woke up from something like that. And then remembered it was like, wow, I survived. Yes. And as we had talked about it, By grabbing into the soil, I was going into the groundedness and rooting myself. Mm -hmm. I had been warned to get out, but I chose to stay. Well, actually, I don't even know if I chose to stay. I didn't have time to do anything but what I did. So that's a dream that, of course, then comes in, and I feel it's going through trauma. Those forces are coming at us, Mm -hmm. incredibly traumatic forces. And in that case, I had an opportunity to have an effect on it. You know, that's part of the combination of the work and meditation and dreaming and and being introspective about all of these things come together into these little tiny pieces that strengthen us, that validate us, that say this is the path we should be on. And yet at the same time, long, you know, many months ago, I've had dreams where I was devastated, where it was ugly and awful and terrible things were happening. But that's again going through the trauma. And that's what really got me going into this work is that the dreams are coming up and I couldn't stop them of such ugly, ugly behavior, hurting of children, hurting of things. And yet what I have to understand is that's a part of who we all are. 
And so those images became so strong. I had to find a way that I could cope with them. Mm -hmm. And so those are all the kinds of dreams that we have. And each one of them are, are ways in which you can process and move through this trauma. And on the other side, begin to see something very different. Yeah, so I just want to mention, from my perspective, there are definitely different kinds of dreams. Like you mentioned, some are just banal. They're just mundane, you know, like little stress dreams, like Mm -hmm. sort of related to our to-do list, Mm -hmm. so to speak. There's that, which is really basic little worry stress dreams. And then there's dreams, like you're describing, that can be very deep. You're diving into the most complex sort of contrast in human experience of the pain and the shadow and then also the power to survive Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and those are so intense and then there's also dreams that are more rare that are very spiritual and mystical so there's many different types of dreams and this dream that you just had, I feel like, is... The tornado dream. It is the intensity of survival. But there's a little, to me, there's a little edge of mysticalness in that, too. I find it very powerful and very beautiful. I have a vivid image as you describe it. And it's so amazing. Isn't it incredible how brief it was, oh, but so intense, intense at the same time? Mm-hmm. And that's part of the power of dreams. It can be so fast but so much is happening and what is incredible is how you shifted and got through it there you were just in this space and someone called out to you protectively yes very much so oh yeah so protectively someone called out and gave you sort of the warning and then you saw this tornado coming and you're in a glass house the fragility and the absurdity of being in a glass house and a tornado's coming at you right and what you knew to do is to ground your body and yourself by leaning down you were kneeling is that right Right. i was kneeling you were kneeling and grabbing the soil that Mm -hmm. part that's that's the part that just gives me chills you knew to go down and connect with the earth and hold on mm-hmm. for that dear was, life. And that was the grounding because I know that tornadoes pull you up, right? They pull yes. you up and destroy you. And the and idea was to go down, <laughs> right, and hang on. That is just so powerfully intense. And the magic is when you grounded yourself and you held on to the soil the magic happened. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. The tornado didn't even break the glass. No. It didn't harm you. It went right over, right around and right over. And we were completely immersed in it, but it was not shattered. It was all held together. Such a profound image of bracing yourself through the storm and surviving Not only did you survive, but your glass house was not broken, which is really incredible. It is. And I think what's so interesting is those are the little gifts we get, right? Those are the ones that say, okay, you're on the right path. Exactly. Which let us work through that awful, horrible stuff that comes up that you dream about that is, you can't believe it's inside of you. You Mm -hmm. can't believe you're even thinking. No, this can't be me. 
But <laughs> at the same time, if I can accept it in my dreams, if I can mm-hmm. accept that that's inside of me, I don't have to act it out. Yes. And it feels so much like, and I'm sure people who are dream experts know this all the time, but it just so much feels like as we go inside of ourselves and we're able to make that connection to those very ugly things and not fight it and understand that these are traumatic parts of us, whoever we are, that we have to work through them if we can do them in our dreams. My hypothesis is if we can do it in our dreams, we don't have to do it in the outside world. Mm -hmm. Yes. So dreaming is absolutely our incredible built-in mechanism to self-heal. We work through everyday stress, very much of it, just without any conscious effort by dreaming. And then dreaming can go to other levels, like what you're describing, where you're having a relationship with your conscious and your unconscious. You've developed a dialogue Mm. and a collaborative relationship with your conscious and unconscious. Many people miss that. Mm. And they just, as you did before, think, oh, it's just sort of annoying and, you know, maybe even intrusive at times, you know, when we have a nightmare, oh, how intrusive that is. But it can be a way of integrating and to some degree healing as we connect internally with the conscious and unconscious. That is a whole new internal relationship. And I love how you say that Mm -hmm. because it really, to me, feels that way. It feels as if what it is that I'm doing is not analyzing who I am, which is how I approach this, but it's experiencing who I am without taking it into my head, but living through it. And to me, maybe I'm wrong. You would know about this. To me, you don't solve trauma intellectually. Right. No, you can't. It's a deeper engagement for me to engage it through this living in my dreams as representing that deep shadow part of myself or a very bright part of myself, you know, both sides Mm -hmm. of it. You know, I've had dreams in where, you know, I'm sitting on the shore and the porpoises are, you know, dancing on the water and it's shimmering and it looks very Greek and all of those lovely lovely images. Or I'm sitting on a throne and there's harmony and, you know, the queen archetype comes out in those. So Mm -hmm. I've had those dreams too. And those are easy, right? Those are the delightful ones. You don't mind those. (laughs) And working through that much, much deeper work. And and I like this idea of coming at it from trauma because it creates a framework that really Mm -hmm. helps me get through it. So that's been really great talking to you about that. Wonderful to share this with you. And thank you so much for sharing your experience and your perspective on dreaming and dreaming dialogue. You've built your own dream dialogue, which has been very pivotal for you. It has been. So thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. Bye. So Tom, thanks for working with me on this dream podcast. Uh, I know it wasn't quite what you were expecting, but it really kind of happened serendipitously. And I just wanted to share that with our audience because I think it's a nice uh, introduction to some of the integral work that's coming. What did you hear in that? So Susan, interesting for me, it is about understanding dreams and how they are an additional input into how we view the world around us. And so many times we get caught up that 
information is only coming from the outside, but it's amazing what our own mind goes through. And a lot of times it manifests itself in these dreams. And sometimes we do need to pay attention to the dreams and the information that's there because it's a valuable source to just be curious, to just investigate and see how does it play in with everything else I'm doing in my life. And I think the other piece that I really liked in this conversation, as someone who's been trained in biophysics and physiology, I've always loved this concept of homeostasis. Because one, it's about that regulation back to set points that everyone learns. It's, you know, your temperature, your body temperature stays relatively constant as you go out in the cold or you go out in the warm environment, your body will self-regulate. And so we talked about homeostasis in terms of this dream work. And an interesting point arose, which I've always felt strongly about, is that set points are never constant. They do move and they do fluctuate. And it's a really nice metaphor for our own growth. Do you want to talk about that, Tom? Well, Susan, really, if you think about it, the reason we're here is we're talking about dynamic competence, and it's about those dynamic situations. And for all our listeners out there, there is a reality component that we can strive to get to a place that's calm, that we're in control, that we kind of know what's going on. We know what the answers are. We've finally got this calm. The reality is, is that as soon as you think you're about there, guess what happens? Along comes a bunch of other variables that you weren't even expecting and they come and they disrupt the apple cart. And the reality is, is that's pretty much how life is. It's a constant movement. It's a constant ebb and flow and variables are always changing. And while you try to strive for homeostasis, the reality is you never really get there. Instead of being the destination, it really needs to be seen as the journey. And along the journey, Can we bring ourselves the calm? Can we bring ourselves the movement forward and feeling the connection and feeling good inside? Well, one of the things that mom used to talk about uh, when she would work with us, and that's Mary May. And when she would work with us, she would talk about change happening horizontally and change happening vertically. And horizontal change is just refinement. And that's really that going back to that consistent set point. And we spend most of our lives on that horizontal plane where we are working along. And Tom, what you're talking about is every once in a while that apple cart comes and changes that set point. And that set point then moves vertically, moves to a a different level. And when it moves to that different level, then you adjust to that. And then you began to work horizontally again against that set point. And to me, that's the power of what both you are talking about now and what Deb was talking about is that movement between the planes. And that's where real growth happens. We think we're growing along this horizontal plane as we're simply adapting to a set point. But real growth happens when we move to that next level to a different plane vertically from where we were before. And if you think about this, Susan, most people, if they stop and think about their lives, you've just described it. You work at one level and you're doing your thing and then something comes along, an event happens and you change planes. And then you work again, and then you change planes again, and then you work again. So you're always having that vertical movement to be up or down. And then you then stabilize with the sideways movement to get stabilized. And then you get moved again. So it's kind of interesting. There's a lot that came out of the podcast, especially what Deb Nielsen had said. I just, I think there's a lot of great points for folks to think about. It was a great conversation that we had. So thanks so much for spending some time. Yeah, I'm glad we had it, Susan. 
We want to share a heartfelt thanks for all who have joined us for this episode of The Art of Dynamic Competence. We're incredibly grateful that you shared some of your day with us. We know your time is precious, and we hope that we've been able to share some interesting perspectives and helped you gain some insight in how you've used dynamic competence before in your own life and how to find it in new things you're taking on. We've now launched our social media at The Art of Dynamic Competence, so please follow us on your favorite platform. In the meantime, and if you're intrigued with what you've heard, please subscribe to this podcast and please tell colleagues, friends, and family about us. This is Susan Clark for The Art of Dynamic Competence. Thank you so much for listening.